Welcome to a new episode of Latinos Who Tech. My name is Hugo Castellanos. This is a podcast where we share tools to help you take your technology career to the next level. And we also host informational interviews with folks that already work in tech. Thank you, everybody, for all the comments and notes. The last episode was received very well. So I really appreciate all the folks that reached out to me via LinkedIn to comment on that. Also, I wanted to let you know that I'll be going to the Shep Conference in Salt Lake City this November. So I look forward to connecting in person with a lot of you. If you are attending and want to meet up, we're actually hosting a meetup. So there's a Google form in the show notes that you can fill out so we can schedule which day of the week we'll meet that we'll be at the, the conference. And also, we are still hosting Zoom meetups for speed networking. So basically, we meet up in a Zoom room, and then we go into breakout rooms and have one-on-one conversations for 15 minutes or so. We have a couple icebreakers, and it's a lot of fun, and people from all over the world sign up. So last session, we had people from the U.S., from California, from South Florida, from New York. We had some people from Spain, from France, people from Mexico, from Colombia, from Argentina. All that came to the Zoom meetup. So that was great. If you're interested in networking with with other folks while still working from home, while still not having to go to an actual event, you don't have to miss out. You can sign up for free to attend these speed networking sessions by signing up for my mailing list in the show notes. And with that, here's the episode with Gino Ferrand. Thank you. Gino Ferrand, welcome to Latinos Who Tech. Thank you so much for making the time. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, um, I'm really excited to be here. And let me ask you a little bit about yourself, and maybe you could start by telling me a bit about your background and how do you start in tech? Yeah, I'm from, from Lima. I'm from Lima, Peru, and I've been in the U.S. for, yeah, I think 22 years now. Yeah, we were just talking about how we both came mm-hmm. to the U.S. at about the same age, right? I, I moved to the U.S. when I was 12. So yeah, 22 years now. And I got to tech when I was at school. I went to, to school at the University of San Diego. And I just, I don't know, it was, it was what, 2010, 2011. So it was like the whole, I feel like a big, like entrepreneurship and tech mm. entrepreneurship craze, like the social network movie and everyone was trying to create startups. And, and I, yeah, I joined the entrepreneurship club and started tinkering with some ideas. And then after I graduated, I, I moved back to Peru for a couple of years. And so I started a digital mobile development agency is what we were when we first started. And so yeah, I hired one programmer and it was just him and I, and that's how we started. Yeah. Just the two of us. That's fantastic. So tell me a bit about that decision of moving back home to Peru and like, what was the, what was behind that decision of, okay, I'm going to get my education in the U S and yeah, Definitely. Yeah. I'm sure that rent is cheaper in Lima than San Diego, of course. I'm sure that's yeah, a big yeah. factor, but uh, any like homesickness or something like that? Or Yeah, no, definitely. It was mostly homesickness and mostly, even though I had already been in the U.S. for, by that point, 10 years, 
I was the grass is greener and mm. it was really hitting me hard in that moment. After graduating, I was like, I can go back and be near my dad too and some friends and I can do more with my money because I maybe I can start this with less savings that I would need in the US, obviously. Right. And obviously too, just like you were saying, just cheaper to live. And yeah, out of school, I was like, ah, yeah, we should do that. And with my girlfriend at that time, we moved, we spent the summer in San Francisco and then we moved and I can't remember my like state of mind at that moment. But mm. yeah, I feel like that was, I'm really glad that I did that, but I feel like today it takes me more to move and do things than back then. Right. Like, just getting up and going back, that, that was pretty cool that I did that. And I'm glad I did because then my business now and everything started from that decision. Yeah, at some point the, it takes so much uh, activation energy to uproot yourself and do that. So I think, I don't know if it happens to you, but now that I'm just a little bit older, like I'm 34 and it just takes a little more thought. Like I'm not as impulsive as when 22 graduating out of college and so I think things over more and then they cool off. <laughs> things cool off and I, I don't do it. Right. Like it's, I, f I find that it's okay to be, you know, to get creative and maybe you can be impulsive on like small bets, things that are purely digital. Like, oh, okay, let's make a, an ebook and I'm going to collaborate with this author and launch something like, hey, let's sell the house and buy another one here. Okay, no, well, hold on. Right. <laughs> so like yeah. things that you cannot walk back, That's those are the things that... Uh, yeah. So like, it's okay to take risks. It's just that you get more picky about what you take risks, risks on. You know? Yeah, I think it must be that concept of the fear of losing is stronger than the fear of... Uh, gaining right like with i think it's like missing out thing yes and the, like you would rather i think it's like the vast majority of people would rather not lose money rather than gaining more money just i don't want to lose the money i do have that i think applies to everything in life so when like you're out of when you're just graduated college you have nothing so it's very easy to move to back to peru it's very easy to move across the world And then later on, you're like, my internet, my home setup, my pets, my thing, everything is like, <laughs> you've got so many things that you're like, that you've got the status quo is harder to change. Right. Oh, definitely. Yeah. No, you're bringing some memories back. I remember 2011, graduating college and putting everything in my car and driving out to California for my first job with Intel. Yeah. That, 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 that was quite a feeling. But again, it was everything I owned fit in that car. So it was perfect. Like it worked out and I was single. And it, so I could take some bets in, in that regard of, okay, let me think about it for a couple of days. Okay. I accepted the offer. Let's go. Exactly. There's not much to think about, right? It's like you're out of school and you have to do go somewhere. So it's, that's what I'm doing for work or for whatever. So I'm going. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Where did you go to school? I went to UCF, University of Central Florida in okay. Orlando. Yeah. So Orlando is like my, it's my hometown. Essentially, it's my U.S. hometown is where, where yeah. I've been, my family's been living here since 1979. My, oh, okay. yeah, my uncle, my mom went to college here and my grandma bought a house here in Orlando in 79 when houses were like 10,000 bucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because it was a little town in the middle of Florida and it had Disney already, but Still, it wasn't like a, like a major city or nothing like that. And yeah, and then that became like our family's vacation home. 
And when I was a kid in the nineties, that's where we would go spend the summers and learn English by just being here. And eventually when we moved in 99, it was like our home base for a while. Then we bought our own house and yeah. So I've been, yeah, like central Florida is my, is home. So like yeah. when we were, we went, when we left California during the pandemic, a lot of people were, oh yeah, no, Nashville's the next Silicon Valley or no, Austin or right. I'm like, dude, I'm going right to Orlando. That's home. That's I have so many friends here. I have even the little things like having your, you know, like your barber or your, <laughs> you know, like it's oh yeah, like no, those I'm little like, things matter, right? Like it's okay. I have all my social network here already. So it's, yeah, no, it was a no brainer for me. And a pretty good base of Latinos, I'm guessing, in Orlando and Florida. It's a good place to, yeah. to have a community of people that have a sort of similar background, right? I'm in Seattle, so it's a little bit less of that, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. You got the Seattle freeze, flakiness. Yeah. I lived in Portland for a year. Yeah. The Pacific Northwest is uh, it's, it's beautiful, but again, making friends is not as easy. And were you for work in Portland? Yeah. Yeah, I like Portland. I love love the city. It's really fun. But yeah, Pacific Northwest, it's it's a culture of its own, right? But right, it's a great place too. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about a mobile development agency. So what's the business model? Like, what are you making? For who you are you making it? I'm curious because yeah. I, I haven't met anybody that, that worked in that space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So today, so we, back when we first started, that's what we started as. Today... We're a tech recruitment company that helps. We mostly work with technology companies in the U.S., startups, and yeah, all sorts of software companies in the U.S., helping them hire talent in Latin America, actually. So what okay. we do now is what we were always supposed to do, but it took a few turns. Oh, and got it. Got it. So it started as the mobile agency, yeah. and then you saw, you pivoted, you saw that, yes, okay. Exactly. Okay, we the value is in the recruiting side. Okay. Yeah, exactly. We started as a dev shop, like we were just working with, I mean, I had a few friends from school that were starting companies and had just raised some money and they had to build a, back then everyone was building an iOS app, right? That was like every yes. single company was building in 2012. This is 2012, 2013. That is people were like, not they didn't want to make websites anymore. Everyone was like app, you have to create an app. Mm -hmm. So we were the app makers and we yeah started working with these companies and my friends, then word of mouth, fortunate to get some other clients that way. And uh, yeah, we were just building iOS and Android apps for companies for startups. So like just contract work. Yeah. So when you were sourcing talent from Latin America and you're connecting them to these companies in the U.S. How are you finding that talent? How are you sourcing that talent? Because it's, there's so many ways, but I'm wondering like uh, how, if you could just walk me through the, the business model of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We use multiple channels. I mean, some of it is actively reaching out to candidates on LinkedIn, on GitHub, like every single portal where professionals are, we've used it to reach out to people and say, Hey, this is what we do. If you want to join the platform, if you want to join the network, like we can talk more about it and you can work for us technology companies and talk to them about the benefits. And then we. And then that, that's, that's, we've always done that. But at the same time, we also sponsor communities and 
think back a few years ago when they were even bigger, like the Facebook groups and all of mm -hmm. these, like Node.js Colombia, Node.js Peru, like all of these communities for every technology and every stack and, and countries in Latin. And so we would like sponsor those. And then newsletter is big for us. We have 32,000 subscribers on our newsletter. So I, I love email marketing. I think it's awesome. And we just really invested in growing the newsletter. We have a Discord server as well. I think that has a couple thousand people from all over Latam who who join and chat among the, you know, amongst themselves. And so, yeah, multiple channels really. And then word of mouth, like obviously a lot mm. more candidates now tell each other about, like, Hey, where'd you, how did you find that company? How'd you get that job? Or have you heard of Tecla? And yeah, the, yeah, we've been now 10 years in total as a, the same brand. So I think mm -hmm. we, we've garnered some, gained some organic as well. Yeah. That's fantastic. When you have that word of mouth, those success stories that people share that, Hey, don't, this is an Instagram ad, but no, no, let me tell you what happened that. So when you get that from the horse's yeah. mouth, literally the, <laughs> yeah. no, it's fantastic. And also Platzi does a lot of that. The Platzi, they make the content to educate the developer. They have the Platzi conference. Yeah. People can actually see that, wow, there's real people that make these courses and they actually are really talented people making yeah, content yeah. for I, developers. I love, I love, I admire Platzi's marketing and content team and what they do. And also Toter House is another big ed tech company mm. in Latam and they have great content and a great podcast and YouTube channel. And so, yeah, we, you know, we're not, we're a bootstrap company. We're not, we don't have VC millions behind us, but I think they, like these companies have done really well, like Platzi, like establishing their brand. So they're a good company for others to learn from. Yeah. We have learned a lot from them for sure. Yeah, no, and I'm a bit biased because I, I know them personally and they've sponsored my content before and, and yeah, I was a student of them for a long time. I see them as mentors in a way that, cause I just love how we can all just learn from each other. You know, there's all these platforms and. It's not so much, no, I'm at Google or I'm at Facebook or I'm at Apple. No, I'm Latino first. That's, there's something, there's something to say about that. Yeah, definitely. I, I love how they created a community. Like you said, their community building, it's, it doesn't feel like marketing. It feels like you said, like they have the conference and everyone comes together and yeah, the whole product is built on people being able to interact with each other. Cause I've taken some courses on there as well. And yeah, I love their platform. Yeah. No, awesome. Really cool company. So what's the opportunity in this case for companies in the U.S.? Because we know that the developers in LATAM, it's pretty straightforward. They can make money in a stronger currency and they get to work remote. They don't have to fight Lima's traffic or Bogota's <laughs> traffic to, to get to work. So the value prop is pretty, pretty nicely detailed for the yeah. developers. But what about the companies in the U.S.? What's in it for them? What's the opportunity for them to hire and develop talent from LATAM? Yeah, being totally honest, I think the economics of it is a plus on both sides, right? People, like you were saying, in, in, in Peru, Colombia, Argentina, like they are able to get jobs that pay a better salary when the company is in the U.S. That's the reality. And in, in the vast majority of cases, not every case, but in, in the vast majority of cases, I, in my experience. And then likewise for U.S. companies too, I think it's the ability to 
hire to expand their talent pool, right? Because obviously everyone talks about how hard it is to hire in the US for technical roles for senior people. And so I think that it's definitely expanding their talent pool and then definitely also like a, a cost advantage for them. And that's what companies are looking for, especially today. We can't like the things have changed so much in the last year with the whole like tech downturn, you could say the VC capital, like not flowing as easily as it used to. And so I think it's even stronger now, the incentives really for companies to find places where they can hire. But the good thing, it's a win. That's the good thing. It's a win because it's still a good opportunity economically. If it's better, then that means that local companies are also having to compete and raise, they elevate their salaries. And so I think it's, it's better for candidates that this is happening. And then for companies to obviously, if they can take advantage of that geo arbitrage we had talked about earlier, then it's a win. But also the projects, obviously, then there's the more diversity, both in the company gets to work with people with different mindsets, with different experiences, with different cultural backgrounds. As we know that even if a company is not saying that's number one on their list, we know the, the, the benefits of that, right? The sort of mm. intangible sometimes benefits of, of having that diversity. And then for the camp, for people as well, like in LATAM, then you're able to work with people that are like international, but also projects that are, have maybe more of a global scope or uh, a little bit more diversity. So I think it's good. It's a, it's a win for both, I think. Definitely. And, and I think, I, I think we're too close to it. So sometimes we forget uh, some of the, the most uh, obvious ones, like time zones, the Americas is right there. It's not those uh, 12 hours from India or those nine hours from the Ukraine or Eastern Europe. So that's a huge advantage. Yes, uh, that is the number one. Re like when I talk to companies, they obviously say we need to hire teams. They're this size and we're looking offshore. Okay, fine. But once, once they, they're talking about internationally, time zones are the number one reason why yeah. they can get communication. But also I think so many companies tell us just they've had a great experience working with people in Argentina. Oh, at my last company, we had a, a team in Argentina and oh, that was just amazing. And so, yeah, everything is, it's done word of mouth. I think people in, in, in Latin America just do a great job and that, that helps the image of Latin American talent get better and better. What are some of those uh, misconceptions you would say about people have about recruiting Latin American talent? What are some of the common rejections or like things like, oh, I don't know, we should pursue these. What are some of the common misconceptions? Yeah, no, I think that I talk to a lot of companies that it's their first time, sometimes hiring internationally. Oh, we've only mm -hmm. hired in the U.S. This is our first time hiring internationally. And so I think that they really don't uh, realize just how, like we were just talking about people working remotely and how similar it is to like, you really might not realize that people are in different countries because sometimes they don't realize just how good certain people's English is going to be. And that's like a big thing for a lot of them is we're looking for someone with a really like good level of English and stuff. And so I think that communication piece is the thing that they worry about the most, the companies is, will this be like hard to implement? Are we going to have like communication barriers or problems? And then once they start working, they're like, oh, this is amazing. No, everything's going great. And usually right. the, if there are problems, it's the same problems that any company would have anywhere in the world. It's, oh, this wasn't the right fit, but not because of the person's 
mm. English or anything like that. It was just right. like not the right fit. But yeah, I think they, they're usually surprised with how similar the process can be, I think. Got it. And yeah, now we live in a globalized world and people consume media from all over and a lot of the technical content just comes out in English anyway. Right. <laughs> so if you work in tech, it's like you're bilingual by, by necessity, if you will, <laughs> at least right. the reading and reading form. Yeah, exactly. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So what, talk to me a little bit about the, your team and how you're structured. Cause from my understanding, just the background research I did, like your company is fully remote. So I'm wondering if that was by design, that was a pandemic yeah. thing, that was, how did that decision come to be? No. So yeah, when I moved back to Peru, we had an office. And so I did experience that office work life. We had up to 20 people at one point there at the office. And I, there were like tons of really positive things about that. That was a great experience, but obviously I was also very close to the office. I think it's like the. Sometimes it's also the thing of the executives like the office, not everyone does. And then you're like, this was amazing, but it's not like some people had to drive a really like an hour to the office, an hour back, sometimes more, sometimes much more than that in Peru. And then that's when we would start saying, okay, we really don't have to come to the office like that often, sometimes at all, uh, depending on where they were, even in Lima, because the traffic was so bad. But then when I moved back to the US, I moved back in like 2015. Mm -hmm. And I decided a lot, we had started hiring more throughout Latin America and not just Peru anymore. And so I, at that point I was like, you know what, we have people working from different countries. I'm going to be moving back to the States. We should really try a remote first and type strategy. And so we did that. So that was like 2015. So it was, yeah, way before the pandemic. Yeah. No, the pandemic was, yeah, by the time the pandemic rolled around, we were one of those remote companies that didn't really even notice that that was, didn't affect the, like, mm -hmm. us in terms of having to go from office to remote. And yeah, I love working remote. I still miss, like we get together, but not as often as, as sometimes I'd like, and it's hard to get everyone from different countries. So the logistics right. are hard sometimes, but, but yeah, we may our we get together like every Friday we have a call for an hour in which we play games together. We just like talk about weekend. We really just catch up on stuff and have a really nice social time. And then like we have like team-wide calls on Tuesday for like, 15 minutes, just to see each other as well. And so, yeah, that's what we do. But yeah, we're fully remote and it's about, we're about 40 right now and like probably 10 or so different countries. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. That's, I didn't realize it was that spread out. That's yeah, so Costa Rica, Mexico, Peru, obviously the U.S., Argentina. So yeah, no. Yeah, so, as long as there's Wi-Fi, we can work. Yeah, exactly. It's it makes for an awesome newsletter. We also have an internal newsletter in which we once a month we people can submit. We ask people that they submit whatever they want to share on the newsletter. Oh, I took this trip last week and I went hiking, or it was my sister's birthday and we did this. And so that newsletter is like a hit. It's a hit. Everyone loves it at the company, getting that newsletter and seeing like photos and things that people share. And so, yeah, so we really try to make it a really, an environment where everyone feels connected still as much as we can. Obviously it's still not the same as, it's not the same good or bad, but it's not the same as an office. Right. Yeah. Right. So talk to me a little bit about the, the business model, because you mentioned a couple of times that it's a bootstrap company, you're not taking VC money. And I really love this about, you shared in this article that 
or business is not going to IPO and it's very investable, but it's still a great business. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so I love that quote because it's like, uh, hey, stay, there's nothing wrong about staying, quote unquote, small. Like we're right. solving a real problem. We're adding value to people's lives. Talk to me a little bit about that decision. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, and I read this book, it was like a year ago or maybe two that was called Small by Design, I think it's called. And and yeah, it was a really good book about how it's, if you build something that is supposed to be quote unquote small, it makes, it can make for a great lifestyle business as well. And a business that makes just as much of an impact as any other really, be it maybe more localized or to a smaller community, but still a big impact if a lot of these small businesses exist, which is the way the world works, right? Like most businesses in the U.S. are small businesses. And so, yeah, I always thought there's this obsession, especially right before this whole bubble burst or whatever, but this obsession, like even you watch, I don't know if you watch Shark Tank. I do. Mm -hmm. I like mm -hmm. watching Shark Tank. I like watching it. It's, it's always interesting to have something on TV while you're working. It's nice to listen to some of the pitches and always like judge. Oh, I don't know if that's going to work in your head. You're like judging the business models, but they're always like obsessed with if they don't get money, that it's like the biggest failure. And, and so, yeah, no, so I'm definitely proud that if Tecla is not an investable business by VC standards, that makes total sense. But yeah, it doesn't really define like a successful business versus not. So our business model is we have, we charge the company. So we charge the company mm -hmm. to find the talent. And then we operate it. We have two different models. One is a uh, recruitment model. So we work with companies on connecting them with talent, and then we'll work with talent on introducing them to the companies. And so it's really, even though we charge the company, the service is for both parties. Like we really focus on if it's not the right company for the candidate, or if we really don't feel, we don't feel like it's a good fit, then we're not just trying to push the candidate, hey, go work there. Cause we're going to get paid by the company. If you do, we right. really want to build a true relationship for both where both are like super happy that it's a good fit but it, but eventually we if it's all successful we get paid by the company not by the candidate and and then another model in which sometimes the company wants us to provide them the service of being like the con like you handle the contract with the candidate but the candidate is working directly with the company but we're more like the admin or like the employer mm -hmm. of record type of you could say and so that's, yeah, but essentially in, in both models, uh, the, the company is paying us a fee for the service, for the matchmaking service. Got it. No, perfectly explained. And uh, yeah, and this trend has seen the, the birth of all these ancillary companies like Safety Wing, they do health yeah. insurance for little nomads. And uh, what's the other one? The deal, they do payments, like so you can get paid. Yeah, there's so much opportunity in this space so much opportunity and i think that at least for me this year has been very focused on ai and it's been focused on the kind of like vc money and investor money being harder to get or whatever now i wouldn't know firsthand because like we tried but i hear it from the companies we work with and it just seems slower but i still and companies doing the return to office stuff so in the pandemic ending so i think like the hype of remote work like safety wing and all that stuff maybe has decreased a little bit, but I don't know. How do you feel about it long-term? Like long-term, where do you think remote work is at? Because it's definitely not like during the pandemic, it was like every VC and every investor wanted to get in on the safety wing deal, like anything remote and international work. Mm. It's like, oh, ever this is the future. But now it's like companies are going back to the office and stuff. So how do you feel about it? 
Well, I, I think we can share anecdotal evidence from both sides all day long. But what happens is that, and what I've experienced is that people crave community. People crave community. And to be happy, productive, fulfilled human beings, we need that face-to-face -face from somewhere. Doesn't have to be from work. Doesn't have to be from work. But we need a co-working space. We need a place where, hey, I can talk to adults about the things I care about. Like, I'm not only talking to my kids or my wife or my neighbor, like we need th that third place to some extent. So a lot of people are, are actually really liking that hybrid model just because it gives them a, a, a chance to, hey, separate the house and, and work. And that's what I prefer personally. As a bigger economic trend, I think it's too early to tell. I think that remote work is great for the most senior folks or the folks that have like at least four or five years experience. Um, but then for that early and for my students, people that consume my content, my courses, what I get is that the younger grads, they want to work at the office, a lot of them, yeah. because they want to have that mentorship. They want to have that FaceTime. They want to be more than a square on a Zoom call. Yeah, um, yeah. So there's evidence from, from all over. What I do like about remote work is the fact that this, this three-year experiment has shown us that, hey, it's possible. Right. For some jobs, it's perfectly fine. It's exactly. perfectly fine. What we don't want to get is this internal resentment from teams that, hey, like all the salespeople work remote, but then all the engineers need to come to the office. Like, oh, come on now, guys, we can do the same work remote. And that comes down to the organization. How are they defining the values? How, how are they defining what productivity is? Are we here? Because it's like this. I'm sure you heard these stories about companies that have hired people just to fire them later <laughs> because they need to show that, hey, we hire X amount of people this quarter so we could land more VC, VC money. Because if the company's not growing, I guess it's not uh, marketable. So th there's all kinds of horror stories in that space, but I am optimistic in the sense that it's shown people that it's possible. And I think that it's important for people to develop their talent through Tecla and all the platforms that offer education in this aspect so they can choose with their feet. Maybe you are at that point in your career where you want to be fully remote. Great. Work on your skills, make yourself super easy to hire, get a remote job. Maybe you're more of a hybrid person. Great. Check Glassdoor, check which companies have these conditions. That's why I love LinkedIn too, because LinkedIn helps a lot of companies showcase those things. It's so easy to find. Okay, I'm looking for the hybrid jobs that are so-and-so days at the office. and You can search for that. Right? It's easy to find. Yeah, like people spend too much time working, in my opinion, and they don't, you're doing yourself at the service if you're not enjoying your job. So yeah. Uh, yeah, so grow your skills, get a job that is actually fulfilling and, and interesting for you. Yeah, definitely. No, I agree. I agree totally. Gino, you've been very generous with your time. Uh, sorry about the mini rant at the end. It's just that. I'm passionate about this topic and I, I, I ramble <laughs> a little bit. Sorry about that. 
Well, no, I honestly, I was asking you because I wanted to get a, your perspective and a different perspective than, because I'm so involved in the day-to-day of remote, right? Like everything we do is remote hiring. Like we're helping companies. Yeah. But it's at the same time, it's different when you talk about like locally in the U.S. remote versus remote internationally. Like internationally, it's obviously bigger chance that it's going to be remote because a lot of the companies don't have an office and stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's interesting. But so, so anecdotally, I can tell you that, and just this is my experience. I run a, a tech meetup in person in Orlando. And in my list, we have around 70 people. And a lot of them, and they're all local to the Central Florida area, and it's people, and it's right down the middle. People that are entrepreneurs, tech entrepreneurs, and people that work at places like Microsoft, Meta, Google, that are more senior, and they got the fully remote transition. And they move here because either they have family here, they were able to buy a bigger house. They're able to send their kids to a better school, but they come to my meetup because they crave that social aspect because this is the happy hour on Zoom or the happy hour at the actual place. I'll go to the actual place if it's available. <laughs> right. So, so that's, that's anecdotal evidence, but, but yeah, but a lot of people, they just, yeah, a lot of people just want to, they enjoy the flexibility of the remote work, but they do crave that social component. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. And I think myself, I'm that way too. Like I sometimes want, I play soccer, mm. football two, at least two times a week. So it's been nice to be able to get that like solid group of people that mm. always see the same people. You can be like, Hey, how was your week? How was your day? What's new? And so like you were saying, it's really good to have that. And yeah, that actually adds, you're right that even though it's not work, it's not work related, but it adds a balance that it feels like to work because it's about your whole life anyway. So that, that's, that's actually, I never thought about that, that you could really get community through other means. And that would be, that would affect how you feel about work, even if it's a hundred percent remote. Yes. How you feel about life. Cause so like my first piece of advice to people that move to a new city because of a job is join meetups. Go to meetup.com, open a profile, find the, something of interest to you. It can be a social group. It can be a painting group. It can be a football, volleyball group, whatever. But because the way that people build relationships in the U.S. is it's pretty much you meet the people that you're going to meet in high school and college. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> After that, it's hobbies. And to build those deep relationships, those deep friendships, you really have to work on it. So we're in tech, so why not use tech tools to help us build them? And it's not just, your meetup is not just for Latinos, it's for anyone in tech. And, uh... anyone, anyone in tech, uh, we meet under that banner of Latinos in tech because of SEO and, and because I, 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 because I promote it through my podcast as well. So yeah, right. there's, but any, anybody's welcome to come and, and join us. It just happens to be that 99% of them are Latino. Yeah. So it's, but then you have the whole spectrum of Latino. You have the people like us that are soy de aquí, soy de allá. Uh -huh. You have people that are just moved here like a couple months ago. You have right. people that Second born and raised here. Right. Yeah. So you have the whole spectrum. Latino is not a binary thing. Latino is a spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's a big misconception that even I had to some extent, like 
that there are like, even there are so obviously I did know, obviously that there are so many nationalities that make up Latinos in the U S right. But also more to what you were just saying, like the generation stuff, like some Latinos mm. might identify culturally as Latinos, but they might not even, they might not speak Spanish or they might speak very little Spanish. And so that it's very interesting, actually, how yeah. with generations, more generations of Latinos in the U.S., there's actually quite a spectrum, like you were saying, versus a Latino that just moved to the U.S. six months ago or something that's. Yeah, second really community, and then you have the and Orlando. It's a Orlando is a is is very interesting because it's a Puerto Rican town in the south, and central area. It's more of a Venezuelan Colombian town. Uh -huh. You go out west, it's a Bembindo Brasil. It's a oh, Brazilian yeah. town all over. So we have a, quite a few Brazilian members that come to our meetups. And it's always interesting to to talk with them because funny enough, a lot of them, they don't consider themselves Latinos. They consider themselves their own thing. They're Brazilian. They're, they're Brazilian. Exactly. Yeah. And you know what? They're big enough that they can do that. It's <laughs> yeah. 220 million of them. So oh, yeah, trust <laughs> yes, me, they I'm, can. <laughs> we've had that. We've navigated that as part of our marketing and community for years and years. The whole, what do we do? Do we do this in English? Do we do it in Spanish? If we do it in Spanish, we're alien alienating Brazilians in our community. They, like you said, they don't consider themselves Latinos and definitely, but yeah, they're God, Brazil is such a powerhouse that. Yeah. Like said, so, yeah. So, so I find that for events that I want to, I don't want to alienate uh, to feel them left behind or anything like that. But when I make meetups that are more like tech based that, okay, we're going to have a show and tell about this stack. They show up in droves because right. they're interested about the, the problem solving aspect and the actual tech aspect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So more than the social aspect, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely. No, that's awesome. That seems like a really good meetup to run. Yeah, thank you so much. Anything else you wanted to share before I give you some time back? I know that you're in your schedule. I, I want to be thankful with and respectful with your time. Well, thank you so much for having me on and yeah, just so excited to have, to have connected and uh, yeah, I mean, hope that we can meet in person sometime soon. We'll make it happen. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Excelente.